Please turn with me again to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, final chapter in this letter, this rather extraordinary letter written by the Apostle Paul. I hope you have been as encouraged as I have along the way. Paul's ability to take us to the very mountain peaks of glorious theology while writing also in a way that's immediately applicable, practical, convicting, encouraging, all at the same time is amazing. Makes me want to be a better teacher, a better preacher. It also confirms in me that these are not the mere words of a man. God is speaking through the words of Paul. God speaks and his people are fed. And that's our prayer tonight, every time we open God's word, that God would speak and that we would be fed. And to that end, I'm going to start by reading 1 Corinthians 16, starting in verse 5 through the end, and then I'll pray that God would feed us. God says through the Apostle Paul, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter with you so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you for he is doing the work of the Lord as, I'm, as am I. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has the opportunity. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanos were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings, Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love with you, be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would work through your word by the power of the Holy Spirit to feed us, mold us, and make us into the people that we ought to be. Help us to be the disciples that we ought to be, the, the men, the women, the husband, the wives, the children, the parents that we ought to be. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. By way of reminder, last time when we were working our way through this final section of the letter, we, we were talking about the work of the Lord. It's a theme that comes up several times in Paul's words. He mentions it, for example, in Verse 9, when he says, a wide door for effective work has been opened to me. He says in verse 10, when Timothy comes, put him at ease because he's doing the work of the Lord, as am I. Similar language is used in 15 and 16, that the household of Stephanus, they were 
devoting themselves to the service of the saints. He says, be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. Paul's concerned with the business of the church, the work of the Lord. He doesn't see some hard distinction between apostolic work and non-apostolic work or pastoral work and non-pastoral work. He's talking about the business of the church, what the, the saints ought to be doing. And we noted particularly that the, the work of the Lord should be characterized by flexibility. I said gospel-motivated flexibility should mark the labor of the church. We noted in Paul's words that he says, I, I hope to visit you. I intend to pass through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you. I don't want to do this in passing. I want to stay some time with you if the Lord permits. Paul does not see himself as the master of his own plans. He's not driving the ship. He knows where he'd like to go and who he'd like to see and how long he'd like to be there, but all of his plans are written in pencil. The Lord is in charge of his work. But we also noted with this flexibility and an integrity, a gospel conviction that was within Paul. If the first one was a humble pliability, this is a humble rigidity. Paul says, a, a wide door of effective work has been opened to me in verse 9, and there are many adversaries. The work of the Lord is generating opposition. And he didn't just fold. He wanted to work. He wanted to take note. He wanted to lean in with a stiff spine, trusting in the, the truth of the Lord. And so we have flexibility and firmness together, marking the work of the Lord. Tonight I'd like to focus on another mark of the work of the Lord, located primarily in verse 15. Look back at verse 15. Paul says, I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. That phrase has been ringing in my ears all week. Devoted themselves to the service of the of the saints. What, is, what does that mean? What, is, what does it mean to do the work of the Lord? Well, it means that you're devoted to the Lord, which will manifest itself in devotion to the Lord's people, the saints. And that, that, that idea of devotion to the work of the saints, to the service of the saints, that'll be our theme tonight. And one, one caveat as I begin, I'll be talking primarily about the presence or absence of this devotion, not necessarily getting into the nitty-gritty of what it will look like practically, Lord willing, that'll be next week. But tonight I want to ask of ourselves, am I devoted to the Lord and his people? And to do that, I want to first ask, what, what does devoted mean? We might translate it something like entirely dedicated, totally committed, even consecrated is within the semantic range, set apart for the particular task. And we should take time to reflect on this idea of devotion. You know, to be devoted to something is, is, a, is it's the totality of who we are. You can't be partially devoted. If an athlete says, I am devoted to becoming an Olympian, I want to get a gold medal for my country, and he trains hard and he exercises hard, but he still pigs out on junk food, is he devoted? We would say, no, he's not committed. If a husband takes his wedding vows and he pledges devotion to his wife, but he won't show her proper attention, he doesn't share his finances with her, he's not actually devoted, regardless of what his claims may be. 
some part of him, some part of his time, his affection, his effort, something is withheld. So if it's not total, it's not devotion. Further, devotion necessitates a willingness. You you can't compel someone to be devoted, can you? I can't put a gun to your head and, and force you to be devoted to God. Can't do that. You can compel people to do things. You can constrain them by duty and pushing. You could force people to do something, but that's you would never say they're devoted. Devoted sports fans joyfully, willingly follow their team, not out of a sense of duty, but out of desire. Devoted husbands love their wives because they've chosen to and they want to. Not merely because it's a duty. So to be devoted is to willingly choose something. And we should also know that devotion is to be devoted is to have a disposition that's habitual. It's persistent. Devotion requires habitual, persistent effort. You know, everybody knows somebody that swears on January 1st that they're going to lose all this weight. And then they've gone to Krispy Kreme 10 times in January. Are they devoted? Zeal and intensity for a short amount of time is not devotion, is it? Devotion is found where behavior is sustained over time, like a habit. In fact, if you have the old King James Version of this verse, it actually says, using an older um, sense of the word, it says they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. They've addicted themselves. Again, we don't use that word the same way today, but you get the idea. What's an addiction? It's something that you do so frequently it becomes a habit, and given enough time, that habit becomes something that you're afraid you can't live without. That's what an addiction is, and that's an idea, a picture of what the level of devotion that ought to mark the work of the Lord, the service of the saints. Not that we're out of control like an addict, but that we've so committed ourselves to the work of the Lord that our service to the saints is habitual. It's sustained and persistent over time. You know, you, you see the commercials on TV for the, all sorts of medicines under the sun. and they'll, they'll warn us about it being potentially habit-forming, some kind of sleep aid or something. That's, that's kind of what we want out of our faith. We want a habit-forming faith. We want a Christianity that's so persistent over time, that it's not mindlessly habitual, but we don't have to question. Yeah, I'm going to be devoted. I don't even remember a time when I wasn't devoted to the service of the saints. I'm committed. I'm in. You don't have to convince me. That's a high calling. That's a high standard. And that, that's what marked the household of Stephanus, who Paul is commending here is people worthy of emulation. He lifts them up. We need to, we probably need to ask ourselves, do we have such devotion? And if not, why, why do we lack that kind of devotion? Let me give us some possible reasons why we might not have that kind of devotion. It's a little longer of a list. I want you to listen to the various categories and situations and see if any of these sound 
familiar to your heart. The first, some people might be listening that are not marked with devotion to the saints, and that's because of ignorance. It's possible that they just didn't know that to be a Christian is to be devoted to the service of the saints. Well, that no longer remains a possibility for you. Now you know. Be devoted. Second, some people aren't able to show the same level of devotion to the service of the saints because of God's providence. God is in charge of history. He moves things. He brings things about. He's in charge of all of our circumstances. Perhaps you're physically incapable of serving the saints regularly. Perhaps you've been hindered by circumstances outside of your control. Perhaps you get deployed for six months. You know, things change. And in such circumstances, you're not at fault in as much as God has ordained the circumstances that prevent you from serving the saints for a season. Third, third category. Some people aren't devoted to the service of the saints because they're lazy. Some are lazy. They're like the sluggard in Proverbs who knows what he needs to do, but won't even do it. He'll bury his hand in the dish, but he won't even bring the food back to his mouth. He'd rather spend time indulging in his favorite hobbies or vegging out in front of the TV or just generally apathetic to the spiritual condition of the church, unconcerned. This person's lazy, which is a sin, and they need to repent. Fourth, some people aren't lazy, but their lack of devotion currently to serving the saints is more born out of weariness. Weariness. They have grown weary of doing good. You know, some people, for various reasons, feel the need to wear themselves out for the Lord. They burn the candle at both ends. They often and, and they often feel like that kind of pace is a virtuous thing, and perhaps even a badge of honor. That kind of person needs to hear that the Lord made you as a finite creature with limitations. And one of the reasons for those limitations is because he knows that you're tempted to think you're Superman, that you're the Messiah. And if you're that kind of person who's grown weary of doing good because you've overdone it, you might need to repent for trying to be a savior rather than serving the savior. You might just need to rest. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy and walk in the strength of the spirit rather than in the flesh because spiritual burnout is no virtue. So if your devotion is quenched because of exhaustion, then get some rest, both body and soul, and let the Holy Spirit rekindle your devotion to the service of the saints. Fifth, some Christians are not devoted to serving the saints because they're just plain selfish. They're selfish. They, they like their free time. They don't want to give it up to anybody else. They're self-centered. They they think about their schedule and their money and their effort and what's important to them, and they spend all of their time and all of their effort and all of their resources on themselves. And such a disposition is clearly unchristian. It's counter to love. It's, it's the opposite of every bit of modern advertising you hear every day, which says, you exist to pamper yourself. You exist for you. You earned it. You're worth it. You, it's all about you. 
Scripture tells us we exist to glorify the Lord, and that glorification is perhaps no more Christ-like than when we lay down our lives for the good of someone else. It's devotion to service of others, to the service of the saints. If you lack devotion to serving the saints, and if it's that way because of selfishness, then be warned, God sees and knows the heart. Sixth, some people refuse to devote themselves to the service of the saints because of greed. They are greedy. They crave more money, and they will not stop working because that would cost them money. For them to stop making money in order to serve somebody else is an unacceptable cost. And what they've done when they make that decision is they've revealed who really is their Lord. Jesus spoke about devotion, didn't he? He said, no one can serve two masters. You'll either hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. If greed drives you to neglect devotion to the work of the Lord, then you know who your true master is. Seventh, some people refuse to be devoted to the service of the saints because of bitterness. Because of bitterness. Some people are bitter. They perhaps have been wronged by somebody in the church. Somebody committed real sin against them. And they use that sin against them to justify their own sinful lack of service to the saints. I want to be sensitive here because some people have legitimately been harmed by people claiming to be Christians. That pain is real. So is the hurt caused by it. However, and this is crucial in all of life, nobody's sin against you makes it okay for you to sin. And refusing to serve in the work of the Lord and to serve the saints in the ways that you're able makes you guilty before God, just like the people who sinned against you. Now, we've we've preached on reconciliation several times in the past, so I won't go into that now, but I'd encourage that bitter person to seek forgiveness and reconciliation as much as they're able and pursue devotion to the service of the saints. Because in doing so, you will imitate Christ and honor him who was the perfect example of a peacemaker and a reconciler. Number eight, some people are not devoted to the service of the saints because they are not devoted to the Lord. They're not devoted to the Lord. They've let their spiritual communion with God grow cold. This is perhaps the scariest one on the whole list. Because this kind of person, perhaps they were once very active, very involved, up to their neck in service to the saints. Lots of Bible, lots of prayer, lots of fellowship among the body. Maybe they were even in an official capacity as a deacon or an officer or a Sunday school teacher or pastor even. But today, they're cold. They've drifted. They have pulled back. They've let their zeal for the people of God wane. And if they're honest, most people who pull back in such a way have found that their private devotion to the Lord has grown cold right alongside their devotion to the saints. Spiritual coldness is most often manifest through one's relation to the people of God. 
See, you can, you can fake private holiness. You can act like you read your Bible and tell people, about, oh, I prayed, I prayed for you. And you can act holy when they're not looking. It's hard to maintain public holiness and devotion to the people of God when your heart is not in it. That's why when people grow cold in their spiritual communion, they usually stop coming to church after a time. Weakening communion with God's people is often the first public evidence of weakening communion with God. Lastly, number nine, some people are not devoted to the service of the saints because they're distracted. They are distracted. They, they could be distracted by good things or bad things. Sometimes we get distracted by good things. It's good to pursue perhaps more education or to be physically fit and want to exercise, or to be really involved with my child's school, or to volunteer with a nonprofit. Those aren't bad things, per se. But we must remember our priorities and not let the hundreds of possible good things that we could do distract us to how to use our time best. Consider how you spend your time each week, which is your most valuable commodity, by the way, your time. And what that time allocation indicates about what we think is most important. But to be honest, I see very few people who are distracted from service in the church because they're pursuing too many good things elsewhere. I see lots of people distracted from devotion by less than good things. They claim they're too busy to serve the church in particular ways, but they'll log 20 hours a week on social media. They say they can't find time to serve the saints and be among the body, but they've got plenty of time for catching up on their favorite shows and movies. See, busyness is usually less a factor of providential circumstances and more a factor of our priorities. Sean and I didn't talk about this, even though these sermons overlap. The Holy Spirit's a very good sermon planner. But being enslaved to our own calendar often reveals a spiritual condition of giving our devotion to things that we're distracted by rather than giving our devotion to the things the Lord calls us to. By way of application, parents, we need to remember that our children are always watching and children rarely rise higher than their parents in these spiritual areas. So we should all reflect, consider your devotion, your time, how you spend your money, how you spend your effort, and what does my behavior communicate to my children about what is most important? If I spend 30 hours a week on sports or on entertainment or on whatever else and two hours a week on Sunday morning for the things of God, you are preaching to your children with that pattern. You're catechizing them as to what is most important. Now each of us, in light of all these categories, falls short. We fall short of the the household of Stephanus, which seems to set a bar that we, we can't reach. I've got worse news. They're not the bar. God tells us the bar is actually total devotion. All that we are to him. Love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is the standard. Total love to God and to our neighbors. And failure in any one of these little areas is the result of our sin and therefore worthy of condemnation. God deserves total devotion devotion, our whole heart, 
but we're selfish. We, we hold part of ourselves back. We refuse to be dedicated to him. We're unwilling to serve others like we know we ought to. We choose to indulge our appetites rather than constrain them to serve others. We, we want to pamper ourselves rather than prostrate ourselves. And God sees it all. He knows our hearts, each and every one of us. Nothing's hidden from him. He sees every dark crevice in your soul, every selfish thought, every motive, every movement of your heart before you even lift a finger. And scripture makes it clear that's true of all mankind. They refuse to devote themselves to the Lord and so they earn condemnation. In fact, the language that Isaiah uses in chapter 34 is that they refuse to honor the Lord and therefore the Lord devotes them. Devotes them to destruction. And the language is vivid. He has devoted them to destruction, has given them over to slaughter. The slain will be cast out. The stench of their corpses will rise. The mountains shall flow with their blood. See, not serving the saints, failing to be devoted to God and to the work of the Lord is not simply being a less than average church member. Sin, worthy of punishment, condemnation, and hell. But the amazing thing is that the same God who will justly judge the, the ones who will not be devoted was so moved by love and compassion that he chose to offer forgiveness. He's so devoted to his own glory that he sent his son to be the devoted sacrifice. And Jesus was perfectly devoted to the service of God's people. Remember when Jesus was young and he got left at the temple? What did he say? He said, did you not know, parents, that I would be at my father's house? Even as a child, he was devoted to being among God's people and being in the place of God's special revealed presence. His devotion wasn't, wasn't only seen in wanting to be among God's people. He also modeled sacrificial devotion. What did he say? He said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve, to lay down my life as a ransom for many. I came to die, and so that through my dying, many could be devoted. That's the, that's the wild thing. He did it willingly. Remember we said devotion requires willingness? Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. He came to die, and he chose that. That's devotion to the cause. I have authority to lay it down and to pick it back up again. Jesus wasn't killed on the cross because he was unable to do anything about it or because he was outmatched or overpowered by the Romans. He died because that was his plan. He chose it. And that's the magnitude of his devotion. I can't be bothered to get up early and go do something for the sake of the saints. And he came down from heaven and planned to die for me. That's wild. That's the depth of his dedication, the, the size of his commitment to the, to the saints. What a magnificent Savior we have, so committed to a people who are so often uncommitted to him. Such devotion on behalf of a bride that is often cold and apathetic, indifferent, sluggish, 
Doesn't that devotion found in his heart stir your heart? It's compelling. I want to be that kind of loving person. You want to be married to that kind of person that's devoted. You want to be church members with people that are as devoted to love as that. And if he could stoop down so low for you, won't you be willing to stoop down for others? That's the step. That's, that's, that's really the whole sermon right there. You have to first embrace the good news of what he's done. And when you're devoted to him by faith, you will grow in your devotion to others. You see it in the text. Look at, back at verse 15 again. He says, the household of Stephanas were the first converts in Achaia. You have to be converted first. You have to believe. You have to be devoted to Christ. And then once you're devoted to him, then you can be devoted to the saints. So if you're not trusting in Christ, you don't start by working really hard to love everybody on the pew around you. You start by repenting of that sin and believing the message of the Bible, which is that Jesus died for sinners. Trust in him and that good news, lest you be remain devoted to destruction. And once you trust in him, You'll grow in your devotion to the Lord by growing in your devotion to the service of the saints. They go together. As you love the Lord, you'll love his people. And as you love his people, you will love the Lord. God meant for these things to work together. Do the work of the Lord and be a good churchman, a good churchwoman. Now, to inspire us towards this devotion to the service of the saints, I want to close with a list of encouragements, a list of encouraging reasons to spur us on as we try to be devoted to the service of the saints. Some of these come from an old Puritan named William Bridge. Some of these are mine, but I hope they're helpful to you. First, encouragement as we try and grow in our service to the saints. It is a great privilege to be a servant in the Lord's work. It is a great privilege to serve the saints. And one way that uh, I, I heard or I read one author make this point, he said, the work of comforting, supporting, encouraging the saints, ministering to the saints is a great work. And we know that because it's the work of the angels. That's what the angels are to do. They're ministering spirits, Hebrews says, sent to serve the saints. And when we are faithful in our work to serve one another, we are joining in an angelic, heavenly work, serving the brothers and sisters in Christ. So in a very one way, we could say, go be angels, right? Be angelic, be heavenly, as you love one another. Secondly, second encouragement to be devoted to the service of the saints. Without your devotion to serving the saints, the body suffers. Without your devotion to serving the saints, the whole body suffers. You can read chapter 12 in this letter. Paul describes the church as a body with many parts. One part's not more important than the other. The eye can't say to the foot, I don't need you. The hand can't say to the mouth, you're unimportant. We need each other, and we need all the parts to function as the body was designed to. And if people aren't devoted to the body, the entire body suffers. Each of us is needed if the body is to operate according to its design. Third, serving the saints is investing in something eternal. 
Serving the saints is investing in something eternal. Many of us could spend all of our days doing all sorts of things. We could try and build a big business and grow our platform and pad our resume. We could get up every day and enjoy God's creation, trying to lower our handicap on the golf course every week. We could devote ourselves to a million things. But I ask you this, will the thing that you're devoted to matter in a thousand years? Will it even exist in a hundred years? You see, sometimes we devote ourselves to building what are essentially sandcastles in this age rather than building the eternal temple of God, which will last forever. Indeed, Paul makes an explicit promise at the end of the last chapter. You can look up in chapter 15, verse 58. He says, we should be always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's a promise. In the Lord, your labor will not be in vain. What worldly pursuit can promise you that? That there will be no futility if you come and do this thing. It will always be fruitful. It will always result in good if you come and do this thing. That promise has been made about doing the work of the Lord. You don't get that promise on the golf course. Fourth, related to the previous point, devotion to service comes with eternal rewards. Devotion to service comes with rewards, eternal rewards. God promises he's going to send the son back to come and judge. The wicked will receive their due and the righteous will receive their rewards. And such rewards are certain for all the good deeds we do in the body. But not everything we can do in this life is promised eternal rewards, is it? And so be mindful of what you do. Ask yourself, is what I'm doing honoring the Lord? Is it garnering eternal fruit or will it just be washed away? Right? We, w- we want to hear the Lord say to you on the last day, well done, my good and faithful servant. Not, well, you're done, servant. Right? You don't want to just barely make it into heaven. You want to honor the Lord by leaning hard into that. You want to finish the race well. Fifth, fifth encouragement in our devotion to the service of the saints is that diligence in service can help keep us from temptation. Diligence in service can help keep us from temptation. We have all heard that idle hands are the devil's playground which is often true. Idleness, laziness breeds temptation. But the converse is also true. Diligence in service can help keep us from unnecessary temptations. One old writer said, when we are least at work for God, Satan is most at work around us. So let's not tempt the devil to tempt us because we're not faithful to serve. Sixth, be encouraged in your service knowing that diligence garners you honor. Diligence in service garners you honor. This isn't hard. The logic is very easy to follow. Jesus said the last will be first and the first will be last. And if you make yourself a lowly servant among the saints, Christ will exalt you. It's the promise of Jesus. That's not health and wealth. 
Lower yourself. Make yourself a slave to the service of the saints and God will reward you with special honor and privilege at the right time. Seventh, devotion to serving the saints tends toward your protection. Devotion and service to the saints tends towards your protection. I'm not merely trying to appeal to your own personal sense of self-preservation. But again, the logic's not hard to follow. If you're devoted to serving others out of love, then you'll make friends. And if you're loving towards others, they will love you back. The book of Proverbs makes clear that friends are good protection. They speak the truth to you in love. They don't deceive you with flattery. Friends help you in the day of trouble. They stick closer than a brother. Friends give you wise counsel to protect you from foolishness. You get the point. If you are diligent to serve the body, you will tend to make friends, and good friends are a blessed protection to you. Lastly, and I will close with this, devotion to the service of the saints tends towards your holiness and your happiness. Devotion to serving the saints tends towards your holiness and your happiness. If you're committed to serving God's people out of love to God, you'll begin to see things a little differently. You'll notice over time you're less focused on material gain. You'll begin to value more the relationships that you've made. You're not as focused on your own personal happiness and satisfaction. You're increasingly focused on the good of others. In fact, you're decreasingly thoughtful of even yourself at all. You're more concerned with their well-being, with their success, with their growth and movement in the Christian life. You're, you're less selfish. You're less self-concerned. We, the more we forget ourselves in the service of the Lord, the more we'll see the hand of the Lord at work in and through it. We'll have our hearts less and less set on the things of this world and more and more set on the things of the next. And when our affections are set on eternal things, heavenly priorities, we'll see that our joy in this world is more stable. When your heart is fixed on things in heaven, then there's no storm or trial in this life that can shake our hope. Our hope is fixed and our joy in the Lord will grow. And so if you want to be holy and happy, you want to be fixed on God and his Glory, then out of love to God, devote yourselves to serving Him and serving the saints. That's the way to be really happy. Not to be a king. That's what the world says. You're, you're a king. You're a queen. You deserve to be pampered and showered with affection and service. No, the, the way to be happy is to make yourself the, the bottom of the totem pole, to be the, the slave who chooses to become a servant, not because they, they think every one of you is a king that deserves it, but because the king of kings became my servant, so I'm going to be your servant. May that be true of us. Let's pray. Father, we ask very simply that you would help us to love you with all of our heart. And having our hearts filled by your presence and your work on our behalf, may we then turn and love others. Help us to be devoted to the service of the saints. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.